Well, so excited today because today is the first ever live recording of this podcast. And we just got some wonderful intros from these fabulous ladies here. But Rebecca Garrity and Karenza Hogan and I are going to have a lively discussion today. We're going to talk about some hot topics in tech, product marketing, of course, and then we'll have a lightning round at the end. So thanks all for joining us and really excited to have you. All right, so the first question, ladies, to kick it off, what inspires you? I am inspired by a lot of things. Between my morning coffee, which I think is the kickstart I need to just anything to do with chocolate, I think the biggest thing that actually inspires me is just seeing anybody that's really passionate about something. Could be their dog, their family, their job. If they're passionate and they make me feel excited about it too, that will lift me up. I love it. And Krenza. Right now, I'm really excited about this new generation of product marketers that are coming out. If I had to encapsulate them, I would say they are very bold, they're very human, and they're very electric, and I'm really excited to see what they do. I agree, and this forum is so amazing to be here live, to actually get to see and work with these new product marketers, and just so pleased to be here. Thank you for sharing what inspires you, ladies. All right, so I'd love to hear more about your role. So let's kick off and talk a little bit about what you're doing at Publicist, Rebecca. Sure. Well, let me first say I am a huge fan of this podcast, so I'm super excited <laughs> to be here. I love to listen to it for a break in the day when I'm going for a walk at lunch. So thank you, Mary, for everything you do. My role currently, so it actually says director on there, but I had the honor of being promoted to vice president last fall. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. And I'm in the midst of a really exciting transition. I've been in product marketing for about nine years, and now I have been asked to go from an individual contributor doing the product marketing to actually leading a team of five. Four out of five are new to the company. I recruited and onboarded them myself, and we are part of a product marketing team that focuses on content, communications, kind of the clarity assurance process of our products, and of course, product demos. So really loving it. Amazing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that transition from IC to manager in our conversation today. So thank you for sharing that. And Krenza, I'd love to hear more about your most recent role at ShiftKey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as everyone mentioned, I've been around 100 years. So my role at ShiftKey was really focused on a small startup, getting product marketing up and running. It was a small team of one. And now the company is just sort of pivoting a little bit more and focusing on just traditional marketing, i.e. growth marketing. But I think for the most part, that exposure and that experience was really interesting because it amazes me how much different companies are interpreting product marketing very, very differently, and how on one end of the spectrum you have just the catch-all of project management, and then you also have, well, they're campaign marketing managers, they just do execution, and then the latter end, which is what I typically do at the companies, is bring us more toward a business strategy conversation, product strategy, marketing strategy, revenue strategy. I love it. And I don't know if we went into it in so much detail in the intro, but you've worked at the Discovery Channel, eBay, oh. Adobe, Amazon. I'd love to hear more about your path. So how did you become a product marketer? I would love to say it was intentional, but it wasn't. <laughs> I think someone once said, you know, when you look at your resume, you go, oh, yeah, that kind of worked out. I think I was just very lucky in the 90s to come up with a group of people who were just hungry. And technology was a world where there was no no. It was yes, and do you have time, do you have money? And I think that that's where I've just stayed. It started out very traditional. This was well before cell phones. This was well before anyone believed people were going to watch television on a tiny, tiny screen. It started really content marketing, which is similar, I think, Rebecca, to your background. And then it evolved. The minute I got to San Francisco, the world opened up. And it was, if you are hungry, if you are resourceful, and if you are a critical thinker, the sky became the limit. And I think a lot of the companies I've gone to, whether they were startups or major enterprise like Adobe, They've been looking for people who just have those three things and just wash and dry the dishes. 
And I've just been very, very lucky. I discovered product marketing probably in 2009, 2008. I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I was like, well, I market products. And it was my tribe, and I've never looked back. It's the best thing I think I've ever done. That's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. And Rebecca, I would love to hear how you got into product marketing. What was your path? Yeah, so I actually majored in liberal arts in college. I was a double major of history and Spanish, and I think the Spanish piece continues on to this day because I see our role very much as a translation layer, helping be a go-between. But I graduated right in time for the Great Recession when there were no jobs, but had discovered an interest in marketing through internships. So I started my career in Marcom, watching a business development team that were essentially doing product marketing of a portfolio of products, and I thought, that looks really cool to live and breathe one product and sort of be the person that's driving the marketing around that. How do I do that? But do I need an engineering degree? Do I need a technical background? I ended up finding an opportunity at Canon, which brought me home from DC back to Long Island, 20 minutes from where I grew up, because they were looking for a product marketer to come into a new emerging technology space. And there had been a link of technologies I'd worked on since then. So that was December 2013. There was no PMA. There was no consciousness around product marketing. And then in the years since, I've worked at both large companies like Canon in a couple roles doing product marketing, as well as seen it from the startup side. And I've just watched our field grow and grow in awareness and best practices and the community around it. So with every passing day, I want to be here more and more. And then now, as we said, I'm kind of making that transition from those years of doing it to now leading a team to do it. And it's an entirely new challenge. That's amazing. And I love the common threads that I'm hearing, and this is what I hear often on the show too. It takes a little bit of grit, a little bit of luck, a little bit of saying, oh, this is a job that I actually want to do. I want to put my name in the hat for this because there's not really product marketing school. It's not a major. It's something that we kind of discover when we get here in the tech industry. And it's really cool to see how you both have taken it and run with it in your own path. So really appreciate the journey. And we'll talk more about that coming up. One topic we wanted to talk about today, and just to mix it up and make it a little more spicy, is quiet quitting. So this is something that is probably evokes a really visceral reaction to some of you in the room. I know it does when I hear about it. And I think it goes on the continuum of you know, thinking about quiet quitting as just doing the bare minimum at your job. And as product marketers, I think that's so hard for us to understand because we're asked to do so much. But on the other end of the spectrum, quiet quitting actually has this sort of positive connotation of having work-life balance and actually setting boundaries with your employer. And so, I'd love to kick off that conversation. And Krenz, I know you have some interesting thoughts about it on quiet quitting. <laughs> right. I don't know if any of you all ever read LinkedIn, but this was a conversation thread that was getting a lot of energy a couple of weeks ago. And I think the biggest thing, my headline here, is just if we have to name it, I'm excited that it's been named because now we can talk about it. And yes, absolutely, Mary, to your point, on one end of the spectrum, you have the, well, that's just slacking off and being sold you can. Or, hey, no, settle down. Should I work after 5 o'clock, right? Then you have this other narrative that I started seeing come up a little bit more, which was around code switching. And I think that that was a really interesting point of view. And on my personal level, yeah, I've done those 70-hour weeks where I woke up and realized I stopped brushing my hair last month. When did that happen, right? <laughs> and so I needed to implement a tactic like that. I didn't announce it. I kind of did it. And then on the other end, it was I found myself in a meeting not so long ago at a company where I was getting shut out of a conversation about a project that I was leading, that I was budgeting, and I was responsible for everything. And at one point, I interrupted, and I was like, sorry, so my name is pronounced Carenza, not Mike. <laughs> 
So if you have any other questions, it's Carenza. <laughs> and maybe that wasn't quietly quitting, but I was definitely, I had made a decision. And I think regardless of where you sit on that spectrum and your point of view, I think we can find a way to just appreciate something that is going on in the workplace is being named. And if there's anyone in HR in the room or there are employers in the room who are hiring, I'd encourage you to think about that a little bit. And as PMMs, we listen to the voice of the customer. So if you think about it, the customer is speaking. We are telling people what it is that we're wanting to quit doing so that we can start doing something else. And I think that kind of looks at a little bit more about, well, what does that product roadmap look like, right? So I'm fundamentally grateful that it is being named and is now having a conversation. A brilliant product manager I just started working with actually sent me a website about how to work with her. And one of the top things on there was, I am no longer accepting any criticism about downplaying my femininity in the way that I present myself at work, in the language I'm using, in the emotions that I have. And I was thinking, bravo. I mean, it was so amazing to come up and actually have that be at the forefront of the conversation and getting to know each other. And just one of many examples, I'm sure. Rebecca, what are your thoughts on quiet quitting? I know it's, it's an interesting topic. And actually, as I was getting on my flight from New York to come out here yesterday, because I'm not from San Francisco, <laughs> I just decided to come to the conference because I was in town. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very, very excited to be here. The Wall Street Journal headline was actually that quiet quitters make up half the US workforce, according wow. to Gallup. And knowing we were going to be talking about this topic, like seeing that half the US workforce is, is thinking about that really kind of struck me. And I would agree with you, Carenza. There's a lot that's exciting and positive here. And I mean, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, when we saw all these companies have many people work from home, there were a lot of bold statements made, like, we're never going to go back to work. And the workforce has <laughs> fundamentally changed. And you know, we've reached a tipping point. There's no going back. And I remember thinking, like, too soon to say. <laughs> <laughs> we need to see how this plays out. And some of these sweeping statements in a couple years, we don't know where we're going to be. And so I'm seeing this now as kind of the overdue tension post-pandemic of, you know, even people, all of us that are alive after the pandemic are lucky to be alive and evaluating the things that are important to us. So I'm encouraged at that. And I'm encouraged at these conversations taking place. I also now, from the vantage point of a team leader, I have kind of a different perspective than I would have in the past. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be a product marketer without putting a lot in. Mm -hmm. We're responsible for so much. We need so much context. It's difficult to succeed in the job without putting our all in. But that doesn't mean we deserve to be totally overworked or put up with everything in the world. So it's an important conversation and an important balance. And I think I'm left with, there's going to be some days where you quiet quit. And if you do it for a day and you need to recharge, enjoy it. And we will be here for you on Monday when you come back explaining all the awesome non-work things you did while you recharged and got yourself back. And that's OK. And I would also say it's such an exciting time in this field that if you're experiencing a period where you feel burned out or you know ready to quiet quit, there's so much excitement that can be had. So see it through. You might feel that way, but if we can find the exciting thing, and I think as companies and as team leaders and, and managers, we should be helping our people find the exciting part that brings them back to not want to quit. That, Absolutely. That would be the hope. Yeah, I love that advice. Yeah, I told this to someone I was mentoring recently that if you're in a place where you feel really stuck at your job and you're maybe not getting the resources, what can you do that will be fun and exciting and might help your career grow? And don't waste this time. You know, Make a decision, 
go do something awesome and make sure that the time is worthwhile at least if you feel like you're in a hard place. All right, so I'd love to switch now to our product marketing topics. And the topic du jour is around moving from IC to the manager track. And so I know this is a topic that comes up a lot with the audience that listens to the podcast, and we wanted to shed a little bit more light on this today. So Krenzel, I'll start with you. What do you think is the hardest thing about moving from IC to manager, either actually fundamentally making it happen or the hardest thing when you got to manager? Most recently, it's been when I was at Twitter. I was surrounded by a group of individuals who were hungry, they were very smart, and they were looking for the North Star. And when you're an IC, I think, you just have to be like, today, this is gonna be my day, and I've chosen this day. But when you start managing people who are looking at you with the same questions, the same need to be inspired, the same aspirations, you have to figure out a way, or at least in my personal experience, I had to figure out a way to step back and let them, we're all gonna get to the same end point, but I needed to find a way to let them follow the right path that was true to who they are, knowing that they will get there, as opposed to, let me show you first to make an egg omelet, you beat the eggs, you whip in air, then you add some milk. And what I learned from doing that, although I stayed up at night like, ooh, I just wanna make sure Patrick wins, and oh my gosh, Robbie is so great, I don't want anyone to stand in her way. I had to also then think about how do I back channel for them? so that those obstacles are removed and they then had a runway to then get to where they needed to get. They might have taken two lefts and a right, where I would have just taken a right, didn't matter. And on the other side of that, as a manager, I saw firsthand there are multiple ways to get to the finish line. And in some cases, I encouraged them to teach each other. You know, what was it that solved that problem for you? What was it that solved, or what was it that was a problem that came up that you weren't even expecting? That was just one tactic that I did. And it's hard. It's hard to let go of the wheel, but when you do, you suddenly realize you can actually nurture so much than being prescriptive. So to sum that up, it sounds like you went from just caring about yourself mm. to caring about your whole tribe that you were then responsible for. Yes. That is a really big transition and definitely a different layer of keeping you up at night. Rebecca, you're pretty recently into the management role. What about you? What have you found to be the hardest thing? I connect with a lot of what you're saying of it was so many years of really just needing to worry about my goals mm -hmm. and so many years of tackling the naturally ambiguous projects that product marketing tends to throw at us. And I don't care how many templates or frameworks are out there, the framework is never as important as the brain work. There's never gonna be the perfect template that fits every situation. So I find it a very instinct-based and gut instinct type job. So how to teach that to other people how to say, I need you to get this thing done, but I don't yet know how I would get there. And part of your job is gonna be figuring out how to get there, but you're new, and you're new to the industry, and you haven't done this particular project before, and you need guidance and context. That has been really challenging, and I think I've swung between sort of accidentally micromanaging to help them get there on some days, and then sort of embracing more of a coaching mentality, but always trying to come back to, I hired for people that have a figure it out mentality and are excited to think critically and tackle big projects and their way might not be my way. We do need to get a consistent set of outputs. So I, I chime back in with that feedback, but as they ramp up further, really letting them go and reining myself back in. That's been a lot harder than I expected. Absolutely, and <laughs> I think we're lucky now that there are some more toolkits, some more mm -hmm. frameworks, some courses that you can take on product marketing rather 
than 5, 10, 20 years ago when this was just becoming a profession. So I found personally leaning on those kinds of things, sending people to courses or conferences like this, really helped to take some of the legwork out of you personally teaching everything to the people that you're managing. But I also love that you're bringing them on the journey with you and trying to show them the path of how you got from point A to B. So thank you for sharing that. And reading a lot of Brene Brown about vulnerability and trying yes. to be comfortable in that space. <laughs> yes, I think that's a big part of it too, just being humble about what your strengths and weaknesses are and making sure that you're open about that and able to share that with your team so they feel comfortable coming to you with feedback and things like that. Mm. So I love that you brought that up. Thank you for sharing that. What about when you were in IC, what did you learn that actually helped you become a manager? I'll give it over to you. I think the word feedback, right? You hear it all the time and it's like, feedback is a gift. Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't feel like a gift. And I think as an IC, when it comes to writing a messaging document, right? You're getting feedback from the product team, you're getting feedback from the marketing team, you're getting feedback from people in the C-suite, you're like, did you even know what this product did? And I think when I started experiencing that and having to figure out a way, how do I maintain the intent that I want in this messaging guide and make sure I'm servicing all of these SMEs, these subject matter experts? And when I went to then manage, I remember sitting down with the team and said, here's a template. Here's a template you can use. The ultimate goal is to make sure that the expression of your intent stays intact, the integrity of that. And then also, you know, you're not making a claim that the technology can't really do. And I started backing off a little bit where I could on feedback, and it was designed more to just guide them extrapolating what is the true intent of this statement, right? There became a workshop scenario that we did, but I think understanding how hard it is when you have to write copy that is positioning. It's positioning. It is not ad copy. And making sure everyone feels that they've been heard, but also you're still standing your ground and you are the subject matter expert. You are the product marketing manager. You are the person that is responsible for the expression of the intent behind this product. I love that. And yes, as you scale yourself and go to the management and VP and beyond level, that becomes so important to really right. stand your ground. That's an amazing message. What about you, Rebecca? The messaging piece, just mm -hmm. to kind of touch on that first, very much what you're talking about there too of I think it's important that, at least in the context of my team, that they saw how I did it, that they saw some of the process, which sometimes is just sitting there with a Word doc to work the ideas out. And kind of that almost becoming a framework or a template type approach. So trying to show that type of example, that's one piece. But I think as far as coming back to your question more broadly, I spent all these years in my career trying to get as many different marketing experiences as I could across the different types of activities, copywriting, content, being a spokesperson at Canon for a while, trade shows, events, surveys, feedback collection, market research, competitive intelligence, trying to collect projects so I had some set of experiences mm -hmm. in my toolkit to then have a reference point to show my team. A mistake I've made has been being too excited to transmit nine years worth of product marketing knowledge all at once and sort of trying to make you know great copywriting and great messaging and all that come to life when I realized that's overwhelming. Let's go step by step. But that can all come with time as well. So I think just sort of being willing to impart it and show. A really excellent lesson learned, too. Thank you for sharing that. Switching gears slightly, but within this management role, what do you look for in recruiting? So I think that was one of the biggest shocks to my system when all of a sudden you're responsible for 
choosing the next people on your team, and it's on you. So you have to go write the job description. You have to promote it and get it out there. You have to do all the first round interviews and make sure that you're sending the right candidates to the next layer. And then you have to pick the people that are gonna be awesome in a cultural fit. So how do you kind of help yourself with that process in order to get the right fit on your team? Krenza. Let's see. A resume is a resume is a resume. We all can make ourselves look great because we know how to position ourselves, right? That said, when I get into the conversation, when I get into the interview itself, I'm looking for not what was on the resume. I read it. We good. We good. I'm looking for what did you do? And something I keep repeating myself more and more when I'm interviewing candidates is you're using the word we and you're using the word us. I'm not hiring we and I'm not hiring us. I'm hiring you. This is where I want you to brag about yourself. If you can't brag about yourself in an interview, I don't know how to help you. The other thing I'm looking for is critical thinking. So much of what we do, yes, yes, at some point, it's a point of execution. But you have to be a hardcore critical thinker. You have to sit there and say, well, you know, Mary told me to do it this way. But the last time I did it like that, I broke the internet. <laughs> so I'm looking for someone who is thinking critically, right? Is he, she, they, is this person going to sit in a meeting and go, uh-huh, 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 and then go do something? Now, we can hire a robot. We can write code to do that. I'm looking for a human being who brings humanness to the conversation. The third thing I look for is resourcefulness. To your point, we've been, PMM is like, <laughs> we're kind of like a day old out there. And so if it doesn't exist, can you go figure out how to make it exist? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be the most amazing thing. What is that saying? Good or perfect is the who's he, what's it of good? Enemy of good. Thank you. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> who's he, right? what's it? I like that better. The who's he, what's it? <laughs> and the whatchamacallits. And so if you're resourceful, I can teach you anything. But if you know how to get it started, we're going to go far together. I love that. There's so much to unpack there. I mean, just one point on the resume piece. So I'm in the process of hiring a role for right now. And on the resumes, I'm kind of just glossing over anyone that doesn't have numbers in their resume. Like, Fair. show me the impact. And also, I happen to be hiring for a mobile role right now. And if people don't have mobile in their resume, I can't move you forward. So it's just kind of like the basic pieces are there. But yes, I love everything you said about the resourcefulness, taking a stance and having that point of view. And that really comes across in the interview process. So making sure that those examples are really there and that you're able to package yourself in that way where you show how you've been able to drive these really complex problems through to a decision point, I think is really key. So I love that. And Rebecca, how about you? I loved writing the job descriptions for the roles <laughs> that I was hiring. I really did because at first it was like, you know, the blank page of, oh my gosh, what am I going to put down here? And then I realized I know exactly what I want to put down here. So I put in all the metaphors of product marketing that are true to what I believe. I need someone that can go from a 50,000 foot overview message to the C-suite or whoever that may be all the way down to the in-the-weeds technical messaging. I need someone that can toggle between those two things and isn't afraid to get into the more nuanced and detailed part. I need someone with a figure-it-out mentality. You touched on figuring it out. That's probably the single biggest thing I found myself looking for because we will not have templatized work each and every time. We need critical thinking skills to say, okay, here's the situation. Based on what I know about my products, my markets, my users, and my own marketing chops, how should we approach this? and come in with a recommendation. And that's not really the way everybody's wired. There are some people that are looking for repeatable work. And I think in my particular context, that kind of hunger to go 
co-create in what we're doing is really the resume piece that you touched on and you as well is actually really interesting because I was a little shocked from having graduated in the recession myself and having to do so much work to keyword match mm -hmm. to get through the systems. How many people didn't? <laughs> you know, if I've got messaging five times in the job posting and you don't have it at all, come on, what's going on here? So that was an indicator as well. Like, they were here to do marketing, so your pitch really should tell about you. And I think the last thing I would add is, I found myself drawn to people that had enthusiasm and sparkle and excitement in their stories. And you can get to who is that figure it out critical thinker by throwing questions at them where they can really say, well, I would start here, and then I'd want to talk to these 15 people and ask these types of questions and think their way through it. I love that. And I just wanted to drill in a little bit more on the finding the folks that are great with the ambiguity and being able to solve the problem. Do you have anything tactical that you do to help with that? So do you do case studies? Do you ask them kind of cognitive ability questions or case questions or are there a set of questions that you ask? One thing I noticed at the beginning for the new hires, even the ones that are clearly great critical thinkers and can deal with a lot of ambiguity is that at the beginning, everybody seemed to want pretty clear direction. Mm -hmm. And when I would sort of be more vague, I didn't get the best response at the beginning. And I think that taught me that like when you're brand new in the door, you are looking for some sort of stability and direction. So I tailored that approach. But then moving forward when they were more knowledgeable in their areas and able to take on these more ambiguous situations, I found a lot of value in switching to a coaching mm -hmm. framework mm -hmm. where it's less of telling and it allows me to not have the answer and say, well, what could we do? Start with that open-ended question of how might we approach that? Oh, that's interesting. How could we tailor this part? Or maybe this part won't work and actually just lead through questions so that we get to the answers. That's really great. Crenso, what about you? Ambiguity is great because it's technology here in Silicon Valley, and I have yet to ever accept a job where the job description is the exact job that I did. <laughs> so it's almost kind of like, yeah. Truth, yes. It's like, what? I think in the interview and on the resume, I take a look at some of the companies that the person has been at. Mm -hmm. And what I know about some of those companies, well, this person's going to come from a lot of rigor. And so while we might be a wild, wild west, this person actually might be able to bring structure to this crazy, right? Versus all they've known of crazy. And so it's just like, we just put crazy on crazy. <laughs> so I know this person's gonna be able to go zoom, bias for action, but then did we just create more busy work? One of my recent goals, I had someone who when I joined, she was on event marketing. And I was like, what are you doing ordering t-shirts? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, there we go, there we go. And so what I did in that scenario was I actually asked this person, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. What is it about event marketing that gets you up and ready to go have the same conversation you had seven days ago with the same seven people and you're having again today? And then I heard, oh, she wants this little bit. So then in this ambiguous world, it allows me to actually start to find places of safety for this direct report that's familiar, but start to show her what we do for events in product marketing is we will demo the product, we will tee up analysts, we think about how do we bring an event to the booth so that more people will come and that sales can do their part. 
So I sort of use ambiguity as a way to explore an evolution of the job description mm-hmm. and this individual skill set. I love that. And you gave her an anchor yes. in this example. So you kind of, you know, not everything is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on the one area where we can connect on and where it's the same as you've done before. So not everything feels so brand new and so right. scary. That's really great advice. What about team development? So what are your thoughts on how do you develop your team either as a whole or on an individual level? I'll start with you, Krenza. I'll just use Twitter again. I don't even know why it's on the mind. So when I joined Twitter, it was a group of five, four maybe, and it was just your bag of Skittles of this person had done this, this person had done that. And generally speaking, that first 30 days, I'm doing what I call IDIs, individual interviews. And I am either letting someone answer a question or ask a question because he or she was not in the interview. But at the same time, I'm learning a little bit more about where this person is wanting to go. Why did this person choose product marketing? Did the person choose product marketing, right? And ultimately, on the other side of that, I ended up writing out a boot camp. And this boot camp was really only supposed to be, you know, maybe a week brown bag lunch. We were going to go through some curriculums, establish a little bit more common vernacular. So we at least get assessed what is good, what is quality work, right? And you know, how do we want to be perceived? What is our reputation, our center of excellence? And that morphed into, I think, like six weeks, almost several months, because more people wanted to attend this boot camp. And it really started to evolve. So net-net, that team development, that was a team sport. We were teaching each other different ways. We were exposing a little bit more of our vulnerabilities where we were insecure about a skill set. But then we were actually coming to a place as a team that this is what we had agreed. This is what success looks like. This is what a GTM should look like. When we schedule a meeting, this is what people should expect when they get a meeting from anyone on our team, an agenda, a goal, et cetera. So it's a team sport. I love that. And kind of tactically on this boot camp, was it a rotating cast of topics <laughs> and presenters? Were you kind of sourcing from everyone, as you mentioned, the team sport analogy? Originally, it was maybe two pages of a Google Doc that just went from your basic tactics, like a creative brief, how to write a creative brief, a GTM structure, product strategy, messaging strategy, market strategy, how to design a KPI if there are no numbers, right? That was it. And then I guess as word got out, product management wanted to sit in. And then I asked, well, would you like to present something about the roadmap, your process, your vernacular, feature complete versus GA, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was less they were writing the curriculum, and I think they got super jazzed to share a little bit about their world, that then we, you know, this is what they need, these are where their dates are, and of course we were frantically writing them down, so we knew how many days back from the launch we really had to go for a workback schedule. So it was a team sport, it was collaborative, it was cross-functional, yes. That's amazing. So at the same time, you created a course and you wrote a book on product marketing, <laughs> whether you meant to or not. I love that. I don't know. Rebecca, how about development for you? I know that's something that's really top of mind as you're stepping into this newish role. How do you think about team development? What has worked so far? Mm, well, first, can I have a copy of <laughs> yes. the bootcamp document? Because it's Please. a Google Doc. Like gold. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. With four out of five people on my team being new, development is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That as much as we are getting you know, the projects out the door and the things we're being asked to deliver, what our real mission is this year is entirely development. Yep. And so that started from some of the just fundamentals at the beginning. Learn your products, learn your markets, learn your users, absorb everything. And as product marketers, even just get a really good feel for the development process. Understand agile software development, what it means, how it works, what this is gonna mean for our work. So that was kind of job one of just immerse and focus on 
the knowledge needed. I think that's so important because there's probably other marketing jobs where you can just learn the craft. I've never been in those types of marketing jobs, but for ours, you need enough knowledge to be effective in the work you're doing. You can't sit down and write wonderful, perfect messaging until you have an appreciation of the product, the market, the users, the wider context. So that's been the first one. And then to Karenza's point, I've really taken an individual approach with each member of a team because everyone's come in at different levels, different backgrounds and experiences, and kind of assessed where I think we can continue to evolve and improve and some of the exciting ways we can do that as well as what they're interested in. So one of my passions is actually product demos. I have loved them ever yes. since I walked in the door at Canon and just continue to love them. And that's where we can do team coaching sessions where I'm actually leading the feedback and sort of giving all these different tips and things that can help take those to the next level. But there's also tons of learning and development opportunities and really kind of catering that to what each person needs. And I think we're gonna amp that up even further as each person gets established in their role. Then we can build on that skills around writing, copywriting, content, design, and some of those functional areas to make us better marketers in addition to the product context. I love that you've taken a step back and realized that this year is a building and a foundational year for you and your team and how important that is. Because I think sometimes stepping into a new role or having people that are newer to the company, leaders will just expect the same bar from everyone, even if they're new to product marketing. And so I think it's so important and so amazing that you're doing that work and then also having it as an individualized level. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. All right, ladies, well, hard to believe it, but we're already at our lightning round. So would love to hear from you is the first question. Who have been your strongest mentors? Karenza, I'll start with you. Oh. It's usually the ones that beat me up the most. And when I say beat me up, it's not an abusive relationship. I think it's the ones that see me and they hear me and they actually twist it, and they force me to see myself, and they force me to hear myself. And sometimes those are really hard conversations. I sound like a schizophrenic right now. Sometimes it's a really hard conversation, but I think one of my bosses, she said something to me like, I hear you and I see you, and I was on the same path as you. But here's something that you can try. Phrase things that you know are the right thing to do, but phrase them as a question. So people feel like they're with you, and they're a part of that decision. And I think that was a really helpful piece of feedback. But yeah, she kicked my ass, and it was good. <laughs> it's good. We're still friends today. She's on my board of directors as the board of directors of Carenza, for sure. I love it. I love that, I love that idea. <laughs> Rebecca, how about you? I started with my parents, my mom and my dad, just believing in me and really encouraging, these are your gifts, your talents, but go take on the world in whatever way that is. So it started there. And then I've actually been extremely lucky that most of my bosses, our relationship has gotten to a mentoring capacity either out of the gate or with time. And the further along I get, you're right. I want mean feedback at this point in my career, as hard as it is to take, that's the more constructive stuff at this point in time. Early on, I wanted the rosy encouraging, and that's still important, and that's something I need to give my team, but I will get better with the critical feedback, and I'm seeking that more and more. Radical candor. It's Radical the candor. thing. I love it. All right. This is a hard one to boil down, but what would you say has been the most important thing in terms of growing your career, Rebecca? Just finding what 
excites you, mm-hmm. i.e., I have this weird interest in public speaking and panels, and I just love them. And for some people, it's the most nerve-wracking, awful thing. Like, well, they run in the opposite direction, and I just love them and feel energized. So even coming to this conference when I don't have any time, when I have so <laughs> many other things on my to-do list, making the time and space for things that energize me, getting out of the office, that's a key one. And then just being really curious and always learning, then nothing's a bad experience. Love it. Life is short. Do what excites you. (laughs) Carenza, how about you? Yes, and I don't know if this directly answers the question, but I think one of the things that I've struggled with a lot is just, I've been at a lot of companies, right? And I was really lucky to be able to work on things that were not household names and then became household names. And I think as I've aged, as I've matured, as I've become more vintage, it's something that I thought, oh my God. People are going to see, like, my resume is more than one page and started to feel more insecure about it. And in a management role, I think all of the mistakes and all of the messes and all of the, no, I did not just do that. They're actually coming forward for me now. And having been at so many different companies and so many different places that the company itself was in, it becomes a situation where my direct reports will often come to me and say, this just happened to me. I was like, oh my God, can I just tell you when that happened to me? It was so embarrassing, but you know what? Tomorrow's Thursday. No one's going to remember yesterday. (laughs) And I've seen those individuals feel comfort in that. What if she messed up like that, and this is where she is, I'm probably going to be okay. And they always are. We always are. But I think having the opportunity to have made those mistakes at different companies with different cultures and different people, I think now I'm finding a way to feel less insecure about that and like, here comes Granny. And more like, you know, here's an oracle who may have something to tell me that I never heard. Karenza the oracle here on stage with us today. (laughs) We're so lucky. But no, that is really great. Leaning into all of your experience and having a little bit of a Rolodex of what you can pull from. That's really beautiful. All right. Networking, love it or hate it. I can make a guess for you two since we're here today. <laughs> Rebecca. Right. It's a full love. It's a full love. Love it as well. It's, you guys are here. Yeah. Perfect. It, the sense of discovery that someone I meet in this crowd could change the course of my life or I could help change the course of their life. What is more empowering than that? So amazing. And it's been so fun to catch up with people. I know Carenza met a friend backstage that you met originally a few years ago that has led to job opportunities. So coming to things like this and meeting people, stepping outside of your box, is just such an important reminder. Rebecca's pointing to someone. I think she had a connection with. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. The last question for you, ladies. And Rebecca, I'll start with you. Why product marketing? I asked myself that early on when I'm like, am I doing marketing today? Or am I just doing item codes and setting up physical props for a demo? How is this marketing? Do I want this at all? And somehow, yeah, I do. Because (laughs) it seems to draw on talents and areas that I love bringing to the world. And being this translation layer is something that's true to my heart and apparently adds value. And it's just led to really fruitful opportunities and cool things and chances to learn. That's really beautiful. Carenza. Yeah, I mentioned I started off in marketing and pretty much wore every single hat before, you know, smartphones existed. And then I found my tribe. And the more that I think about just who I am inside myself, I'm a problem solver. It's just like, why is it messy? I want to tidy it up, you know? (laughs) Or, geez, Louise, I really wish somebody would fix this. Why is this product so bobo? And when someone started to articulate to me, well, you're doing product marketing, I was like, I am. Is that what we do? And why I have stayed in it and why I have expanded over more into market research and big data is this role that gets you that seat at that table where you can walk up into the senior vice president of product and go, look, 
I know you wanted this to be blue, but I'm gonna let you know that no one else wants it to be blue. And here is all the data that says they wanted orange or they don't even want a button, right? And this position, if you find yourself on the team that's giving you that access, you are going and you are finding those unmet needs that either you as a consumer or your neighbor as a consumer is struggling with. And now you have an opportunity to articulate, that's a struggle and this is what people want. Now we can do the right thing and solve it or we can do that later. I think we should do it now. And that's why I love this role. It has given me exposure to finance strategy, business strategy, business development. It's a place I think I'm allowed to dream and that's what I love the most about it. Wow, well, if that isn't inspirational, I don't know what is. Well, thank you ladies so much for being here today. Thank you to the audience. This has been so fun and rewarding for me personally to get to do this podcast live for all of you. Thanks for being part of this. And if you haven't heard of the podcast, please check it out. And if you do listen to it, please subscribe and share with someone you love. Thank you so much. <laughs> this show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com.